Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 25 is entitled The Stories of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, The Temptations of Christ. Only one perfect being ever lived on planet Earth, and it was Christ the creator of man, and the creator of heaven and earth. What must be understood, however, is that Christ suffered the same temptations that we suffer, which is the theme of today's podcast. Otherwise, how could he understand our temptations? The difference is that Christ never gave in to temptation, the scriptures tell us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. 1 Peter 2.22 Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Christ came to earth to pay for our sins. John 1.29 The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Because Christ understands temptations, he restricted the power of Satan so that Satan cannot tempt us above our ability to withstand temptation. The apostles Peter and Paul teach us, 1 Corinthians 10.13 There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. 2 Peter 2.9 The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Even in the Garden of Eden, Christ placed a curse upon Satan's head that he could not tempt man more than he was able to resist. Genesis three thirteen through 15 And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. 
and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What does the curse mean that her seed shall bruise thy head? Notice that Eve said she was beguiled by Satan. To beguile means to mislead, delude, dupe, fool, take in, and deceive. When Christ told Lucifer that the posterity of Adam and Eve shall bruise thy head, he is referring to the cunning of Satan. Man will be able to outwit Satan. To see through his cunning devices, to bruise his head, refers to man's ability to outsmart Satan, to foil his designs, to avoid his entrapments. The only way that Satan can beguile us is if we willingly enter into his territory. Even through his cunning, Satan cannot take away our agency through trickery. We forfeit our agency willingly. The old comic routine, the devil made me do it, is false. It would be more accurate to say that the devil enticed me, and I willingly gave in to his enticements. That leads to the question, what is sin? God is not arbitrary. He doesn't give arbitrary commandments. God organizes laws. Sin is violation of law, and violation of law has consequences. The Apostle John tells us, 1 John 3, 4 Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John 5, 17 All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We live in a fallen world. No one is sinless except Christ, and it is only through the atonement of Christ that we can be forgiven of our sins. For those who repent and endure to the end, the blessings are incomprehensible. James tells us, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So let's examine the temptations of Christ. We find them both in the writings of Matthew and Luke. Matthew, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. Luke, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Following his baptism, and before beginning his ministry, Christ goes into the wilderness to pray and to meditate. During that period of time, he fasts, probably for a period of time longer than man could fast. Forty days and forty nights, the same period of time during the reigns of the flood of Noah, which probably means a very long time, rather than a limited number of days. The point is that Satan does not appear until Christ is at his weakest point. The important principle is that the temptations were as real to Christ as they are to us. They were just as enticing, perhaps even more so given the fact that Christ is the Son of God, and this is Satan's only chance to destroy the mission of Christ at the source. Christ had no Savior. Had he given in to temptation, not only would it have condemned us to live under the power of Satan forever, but it would have condemned Christ to live under the power of Satan forever. There was no plan B. Everything depended upon Christ remaining perfect. If Satan had succeeded, his job would have been over. All mankind would be lost. If he failed, then he would have to work on us individually, making his job a lot harder. Fortunately for us, Satan did fail. 
making us accountable for our own sins, but only for our own sins. The atonement of Christ preserved our agency. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, we can choose to follow Christ or to follow Satan. For those who choose to follow Christ, the power of the atonement can wash away their sins and they can be sanctified and return to live with God. Christ gave us a choice. But let's examine the nature of the temptations, for they are very comprehensive, representing the same kinds of temptations we face, as well as the playbook of how we, like Christ, can overcome the temptations of Satan. The temptations of Christ provide a model for all mankind to win the battle against Satan. The sins are divided into three classes. In this podcast, we shall examine class 1. In part 2, podcast 30, we shall examine classes 2 and 3. We shall examine them both from Matthew's point of view and from Luke's point of view. Matthew, and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Luke, and the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Christ had been fasting for an extremely long time. The apostles recorded that afterward he was unhungered. Therefore, we can conclude that when Satan tempted him to turn the stones to bread, Christ was faint with hunger. It was a very real temptation. Turning stone to bread is a simple thing for Christ to do, considering the other miracles he would perform, such as turning water to wine, healing the sick, and raising the dead. So why would it have been a sin for him to turn the stones to bread? How does that differ from turning water to wine? Christ is tempted by an overwhelming physical appetite. It symbolizes all other physical appetites, drives, and passions common to all of us that have brought many people to ruin. The war between the spiritual man and the natural man is a lifelong struggle. God has set boundaries to physical appetites. The sin would have been for Christ to place his physical appetites, no matter how strong, above the will of God. However, not only is Christ tempted to satisfy physical appetites, Satan, the master of temptation, uses an even greater device. Examine the craftiness of his wording. If thou be the Son of God. That word if is a tricky one. Satan knows that Christ is the Son of God, or he wouldn't have even been there. In Christ's weakened state, he cast doubt upon Christ's divine mission. Is it possible that in Christ's weakened position, he doubted his powers? He doubted his divine calling? He doubted himself? Satan was appealing to pride. Satan is mocking Christ, taking advantage of his weakness. Perhaps we can all relate to that, for he has been using that tactic to fool mankind for millennia. Also, the war between Christ and Satan began in the spirit world, before Adam and Eve were placed on earth. Satan has no veil over his mind. Christ does. If Satan knows who Christ is, Christ has to relearn who Satan is. However, by the time he begins his ministry, Christ knows his greatest adversary. Later, he told his apostles, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. In the war in heaven, Lucifer tried to overthrow Christ. Isaiah tells us that he tried to ascend above the heights of the clouds to be like the Most High. Satan, who declares himself to be the God of the earth, was cast out of heaven, and now he is mocking Christ, casting aspersions upon his divine mission to save mankind. It is natural for Christ to demonstrate his power to his greatest enemy the very devil who wants to destroy man. It would be natural for Christ to prove to his adversary that he, not Satan, was the God of the earth. Clearly, Christ was tempted to do that. 
The reason the Jews rejected Christ is because they were looking for a conquering hero to deliver them from the Romans, not a lowly carpenter's son. Born in a stable, Christ refused both titles. His mission was not to gain worldly glory, but to save mankind from their sins. One can almost feel the energy of that moment, the emerging rage the desire Christ must have had to destroy Satan and show him who was boss. But he did none of those things. Christ's answer to Satan is the key to Christ's perfection. It was a very simple answer, but it is a model for us all. Matthew, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Luke, and Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. There are three things we can learn from that answer. One, though bread is necessary for the nourishment of the body, nourishing the spirit is greater. Two, every word of God is important. We cannot pick and choose scriptures. We cannot interpret scriptures to satisfy our opinions. We must consider everything God has said through his prophet. Three, Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father. That is the key to Christ's perfection. He followed every word of his Father with exactness, putting the will of the Father above his own, even in his extremity. Please join us next Friday as we complete the discussion of the three temptations of Christ in Podcast 30, Part 2. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.